picking me up. Lovely. Carry on. Carry on. Right. Wednesday, 8th of August 2007. We're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. We've had a look at the fruit of self-control, moving swiftly on uh, to the fruit of love. Um, just going to read out the scripture. It's Galatians, isn't it? Good start. Forgetting which one it is. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, it's not one Corinthians. 12, is it? I don't know, I've lost myself. I'm looking for the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not, I'm not, um, Galatians 5. Galatians 5, that'll do. I can't, I've, um, <laughs> I'm not seeding this morning, as you may have found. Galatians 5.16 and I've got the Amplified here. But I say walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. Then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of human nature without God. For the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh, godless human nature. For these are antagonistic to each other, continually withstanding and in conflict with each other, so that you are not free, but are prevented from doing what you desire to do. But if you are guided, led by the Holy Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the doings, the practices of the flesh are clear, obvious. They are immorality, impurity, indecency. Those first three, I would say, are sexual sins. Here we come into idolatry sorcery, those are witchcraft things, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, ill temper, selfishness, they're all attitude sins and sins of the old nature, divisions, dissensions, party spirit, factions, sex with peculiar opinions, heresies, envy, drunkenness, carousing and the like. So if he hasn't mentioned it in there and is one of yours, it's in the underlike, in the underlike. <laughs> So I warn you, as I did previously, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the work which his presence within accomplishes, is love, joy, peace, patience, an even temper, forbearance, kindness, goodness, that's benevolence, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, humility, self-control, self-restraint, continence, Against such things there is no law that can bring a charge. So there you have the nine fruit of the Spirit, which are actually up on here. Hopefully there's nine there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. As opposed to... <laughs> Picking her up now, haven't we? Oops, here we go. the fruit of the old nature hostility, isolation control, passivity, depression there's loads of them but that's just a few anger, resentment, bitterness low self-worth all rooted in the old stuff we don't look at that one, look at this one it struck me very forcibly this morning or last night when I was just reading through my notes for today that the fruit we're talking about is not the fruit of a, a rehashed human nature. We're not going to grit our teeth and uh, so I'm going to read a loving today because it won't work. It is not the fruit of a revamped human nature. It is the fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And his fruit can come forth to the extent that we will allow him to put us to death. So that means I've got a choice in any situation in which I find myself. 
um, a situation I found myself in at Shepton Mallet was one young man who towered above me, he must have been about six foot four, at least he felt like that, kept pressing and pushing and asking the same question, followed me around asking the same question. And June said to me afterwards, one of the things that God is teaching me how to do is to respond in the face of hostility, because he was hostile. And I just kept saying the same thing, you know, ask him. Because he was, how do, I, how do you know you are right? I said, well, I'm not saying I'm right, I'm laying down the truth. Well, how do you know what I might be saying is the truth? I said, well, ask him. <laughs> the whole thing was about going deeper with God. Ask him. Ask him whether what I'm saying is right. I'm not telling you to swallow what I'm saying. I'm saying, ask, seek the Lord for yourself. Wouldn't do that. Kept pushing. Uh, and so June said to me afterwards, what, did anything rise up in you? I said, no. I just, no. You know, normally one would begin to think, would you like a bunch of five-fold ministry, <laughs> young man? <laughs> well, I give it... <laughs> um, I have, I, what I'm observing is, uh, is what we have is the fruit of um, the education system, really, which is actually that there is no longer any respect for an older person actually knowing anything. Everything is actually questioned, which is fine, uh, except that, you know, there is something about being a bit older that means you've learnt a thing or two, even if it is just in the school of hard knocks. Um, but the, the generation that, that is being brought along now, I mean, it says it in Timothy, I think, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, ungracious. These are not, these are not unbelievers. This is written to believers, and it's in 2, two Timothy? We're worth looking at, Father. Oh, That's another thing. I was talking to them about 2 Timothy 2. That's enduring a... That's enduring. Two Timothy chapter three. Two Timothy chapter three. Excuse me, I'm on two Timothy two. Yes, thank you. I was talking to them about being baptized, water baptized, full immersion, and saying this this is an essential, and being baptized in the spirit, which I think was probably a bit foreign to them. And, and just before I started, I just prayed quietly in tongues to just switch my mind off so that I'd know I was bringing what God wanted me to say. And um, one of them sort of drew attention to this at the end of the day. And I, I, I spoke when we were in the separate, you know, I was talking to the, the, the individuals. And um, I said, you might have noticed that I prayed in a different language. Yes, I heard that. And I thought, well, you, you could have hardly heard it because I, I, I could hardly hear it. And I've got the speakers alongside me but they picked it up um, which made me sense that they probably were not uh, aware of being baptized in the spirit and uh, there is a teaching that is going around at the moment that's popped up all over the place that is not a, that gift is not for everybody because it says there's a gift of tongues they got mixed up with the speaking in tongues with the gift of tongues which is many tongues many languages Paul says, I wish you'd speak in tongues as much as I do. It doesn't mean he's going on perpetually speaking in tongues. It means he had more than one language. I've got two. I think Joyce has got a couple. Some people have got numerous. And that is the gift of, of more than one tongue. Mm. Uh, but the evidence of being baptised in the Spirit still remains the same. They will speak with new tongues. In my name they will cast out demons. They will heal the sick and they will raise the dead it says at the end of Mark so I mean he, God's word has not changed what has changed is we have the spirit of compromise has come in and has said that's not for today that's a dispensation that was for them it's not for now so in the view in, because of that we are missing so much within the church and, and God is, is sort of saying no it's, it's all I am your inheritance everything I have is yours do you want it come and get it you know. Anyway, but know this: that in the last days, perilous times will come. As those of you who were at the teaching on Revelation, people say to me, "Why do you know we're in the last days?" Well, this is one of the reasons. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud. I'm looking at two Timothy three, one. 
unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And here it is, and from such people turn away. I mean, if we started turning away, <laughs> I mean, nobody left in church. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon if Paul walked into most of our assemblies, he'd clear them, you know, with a word. Never mind. <sighs> so this, this is the times that we're in. Um, it's brilliant in one way, but it's difficult in another because it means that, that the actual preaching of the full gospel is very difficult uh, because of the spirit of compromise abroad within the church itself you know, oh love everybody don't go, don't do don't have to be so radical well yes I do it's black or it's white I'm going to be teaching on morality in a little while, that's going to be a bit of fun as well um, because from what I see from where I sit um, of the level of morality within the body of Christ itself, it's pretty low because it's the spirit of compromise and it's not a criticism it's a fact that this is the word of God you won't come into your inheritance which is Christ himself and everything that he has while you've got as, as Joyce said all this baggage hanging about there's, there's got to be a getting rid of the dirty stuff because he's a holy God he doesn't change he wants us to come in but not with all that stuff do you remember um, Unja's picture that she had that time of a, um, an escalator and she was standing at the bottom of this was a Korean friend of ours she was standing at the bottom of this escalator it was very narrow and she got all this baggage and she couldn't get on to go up and she wondered what the picture was about gently as we could you know you're carrying too much stuff darling to get where God wants to take you it's got to go through sort of through the narrow place narrow is the way few there be that find it it's talking about discipleship there because as I was saying to the kids you know, the children, sorry um, there's uh, followers believers and disciples and you get to choose which one you're going to be are you going to be just a follower? Many turn back because he started saying things they didn't like to hear. That's too strong. Don't want that. Believers, follow for a little while. Disciples, that's a disciplined job. And there were 12. It, gets, it narrows down all the time. But that's okay. They haven't lost their salvation. But they get to choose how much of God they want. This was what I was saying to them. You get to choose how much of God you want entirely up to you he will give himself freely to you it's only governed by your appetite for him and one guy bless his heart come up to me afterwards a streak of lightning a black fella just a streak of lightning and his name was Godwin and he just said to me I want what you've got <laughs> I just said I want what you've got and uh, so I, I felt I've got to give him a push and say to him, run, Godwin, run. You know, that's really prophetically what I wanted to do, give him a shove. And I said, Godwin, you've got to run. He said, I want to go back into the next seminar. I said, well, when you come out, run. Because <laughs> I just could feel it in my spirit. He needed to pursue that which God was placing in him. And, and I took with him, we'll get on to this spirit of the spirit in a minute. <laughs> or not, that's the case, maybe. Uh, the Experiencing God book oh I had a backpack I had an Experiencing God I had a through the Bible in a year I had something else and I'm carting around this thing with this backpack so that I could show them these things and he said you're the second person that's mentioned that to me I think I'd better do it go for it Godwin uh, so you only need one you see how it thins out there were 60 but one wanted whatever it was that was coming off me he wanted that so you get to choose that's fine you get to set your goal I've said to you many times my, my goal is God himself by any road dear Lord at any cost uh, 
And the other thing that I've, I've uh, heard lately was that about Reese Howells. The Lord's servant was possessed by God. Well, I'm after that. I'm after that. So I'll be quite upfront about what I'm after. That's what I want. And whatever it costs, that's what it is. And there is a cost. So, fruit of the Spirit, love. When I was looking at this last night, it did come very strongly to me about the fact that it is the fruit of the Spirit, as I said before. It's not the fruit of us trying to reform ourselves. Um, you might decide when you get out of bed you're going to be patient. This day you're not going to lose it with everyone. You're going to float by in a cloud of, of largesse towards the human race and God will make sure that they're right in your way and every one of them are like this. The answer to that is you've got a choice. Whether you eat from that tree or the other tree that we're not even going to look at. So you ask the Lord to give you a 10 second warning. Father, give me ten seconds to change my mind before I give them a bunch of five-fold ministry. And it's ongoing and it's constant. Because as I said before, God will be growing a specific fruit in you right now. So you need to say to him, what's the fruit you're growing in me this year, or however long it's going to take, so that you know every test that you come up against, will that fruit will be the idea of it will be to grow that fruit. So if God is doing patience in me, everything is going to conspire to make me lose it. If he's doing long-suffering, same thing. Everything is going to conspire to make me lose my call. But we've got a choice at the end of the day. I won't bore you again with my stories about um, Bexley when I worked there. Um, and the change that God wrought in me through the way those people treated me. They were meant to treat me like that so that it would do something in me. Um, those of you who don't know, I occupy quite a high position in the, in the Bexley in terms of being um, private secretary to the Director of Social Services and Housing Services, which was the only one in the country and still is as far as I know. It was a huge directorate which covered social services, housing, environmental health and consumer services and that was the only one that had such a huge remit. So he was next to the chief executive, the most important guy in the organisation. So I worked for him. And for five years that was fine because I was an unbeliever. Then I got saved and everything turned around uh, to the extent that he couldn't even face me to talk to me. He would turn away and sit his bottom on my desk and speak to me from there. <laughs> because whereas the day before I was able to lie for him, as secretaries do, and cover up for him and do all these things and agree with him and pat pat and they're, they're all terrible things to happen to you. Oh, boy, you. All that went out of the window trouble with you is your values are turned upside down so then he became a Freemason got worse told him not to go into it went into it net result for him was first thing that happened was he got his pride and joy stolen which was his car and then he had a massive heart attack so he was actually taken out of it and I got a new boss a young man who was about, I don't know, 20 years younger than me. And I had never worked for a man younger than myself because I always made sure I didn't because I liked the difference of the, of the man being, you know, hmm. and as that boss of mine that had the heart attack said, you like the reflected glory because I could, I would say, I want so, 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 and I would get it because of the position I held. Sue will tell you. <laughs> she saw me before and after. Um... Anyway, in comes this young man, and right from the start, he didn't like me. He'd been lumbered with me, because I was the secretary that was before. So though I knew everything about the whole organisation, I could give him the inside information on stuff, didn't want my inside information, that's fine, do it your own way. Everything had to be colour-coded, I'm not strong on filing. Everything had to be organised to the nth degree, he drove me mad. Now, I was 
not friendly, but I knew on a on a on a uh, not a personal basis, but I was I would talk to the directors because I, I mean I was a director's secretary, so if I needed to speak to one of them, I was and they knew me well, chief executive knew me well, so I, that was the sphere of influence that I had. <coughs> then suddenly, he decides to move his office from the first floor to the ground floor. So far, so good. But you are not coming with me. So he moves down and takes the uh, Director of Housing's secretary as his secretary, which leaves me upstairs, not knowing what he's doing ever. Because he's down there, I'm up here. But he doesn't depose me from being the secretary, he just holds me up for public display. Can you imagine what's going on here now? So the, the directors ring up and they say, is Nick there? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I'm actually not on the same floor. What do you mean? What's he doing then? Um, I don't know. Uh, what, what are you... What are you what, how's he operating that then? Um, you better ask him because I haven't got a clue. So everybody knew it was like a public humiliation. And I'm sat there one night about half past seven because I used to work long hours to try to get straight. And this guy, his wife was a, a Christian actually, walked by the door. And he walked past and then he came back and he said, you must be mad. I said, what do you mean? He said, the way he treats you and you're in here still working, you must be mad. And I said to him, well, no, actually, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to put in a good day's work and try and keep on top side of it. You must be mad. And off he walked. So what's God growing here in me? Humility, do you think? But my reactions, God was testing my reactions, so for me, that had that was one of my big tests. How was I, was I going to spit and you know, backstab and moan and complain and stomp and I didn't realise at the time that that's actually what was happening. I only learnt that when I came in underground cook's teaching and thought, ah, ting-a-ling, that's what God was doing there. He was dealing with a part of my nature to actually humble me publicly. I've had it happen then in Christian circles, <laughs> at least twice, hung up by a hook, uh, but of course the training at Bexley had done its work. It has to happen. Whatever the, whatever is needed to form Christ in us, God will bring the circumstances to do it. So when you find yourself up against a circumstance that is recurring, Say to him, what are you forming in me? Because something will form. It's either a damp diamond or granite. And if we start to harden our hearts against what God is doing, it has to be a harder blow to crack the shell open and allow the spirit to come out and to allow the grace of God, the mercy of God, the kindness, the patience of God to be displayed in us. Because he actually wants, Jesus said, uh, didn't he, greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. Every one of us is meant to be in the image of Jesus. So every one of us, when we're pinched or poked, hopefully something will flow out other than, we'll take your all on, <laughs> two pounds ringing wet, other than a punch. It's not easy. But when you find yourself in a circumstance that a couple of weeks ago would have had you tearing your hair out and you suddenly find that you are responding completely differently, it's peace. It's joy. It's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those are three of your inheritance things that you can have right now. Righteousness, peace and joy are yours. And then he begins to grow the fruit. But to grow, the, only one tree can grow. 
So it's like the other tree has to be starved. There used to be this story of this Red Indian um, and became a Christian and someone said to him, how, how are you doing? How are you doing? Um, he said, well, it depends on which dog I feed. So, what do you mean, which dog I feed? Well, he said, I've got two dogs inside me, a black dog and a white dog. And it depends which one I feed. We've all got a black dog and a white dog inside and it depends which one we feed. Every situation we come into, we don't got a choice which one we feed. So it'll grow if you feed it. If you starve the blighter, eventually you lose it. You'll find yourself dancing a fandango in your own coffin. Go to what uh, Oswald Chambers calls a white funeral. <laughs> because positionally, the moment we were born again, God dealt a blow... With, to, to the old nature that's the Romans is it 6, 7 and 8 or 5, 6 and 7 dilemma, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death we all actually function in the same way Romans 7, seven. oh there you are you see God desires you know that we are excellent and that doesn't mean that you've got to work your self to pieces to, to um, get to a state of perfection that is not attainable what he means is choose the more excellent way and the more excellent way is the fruit of the spirit abound in love let's have a look at Philippians 1 it's so interesting that whatever, whatever I find myself teaching on, it overlaps with whatever else I'm about to be doing. You know we're doing this conference on rejection on Saturday, but really, at the end of the day, once we're healed, this has got to be the route we take. Um, and we can't stay in... Some of us haven't had the opportunity to be healed. And that doesn't take long. It just... Uh, requires us to let go of the stuff we've been hanging on to, really. Who wants it? Stinks, doesn't it? Philippians 1, 9 and 10. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more and extend to its fullest development in knowledge and all keen insight, that your love may display itself in greater depth of acquaintance and more comprehensive discernment so that you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value recognizing the highest and the best and distinguishing the moral differences and that you may be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless so that with hearts sincere and certain and unsullied you may approach the day of Christ not stumbling or causing others to stumble. So much. So, as we looked at last week, I think, we can't walk in love and be mediocre. Love is basically how we treat people. And actually, if we don't think much of ourselves, we'll treat other people badly. We'll treat them with a lack of respect. And so for the first thing is to find out how God sees us. And one of the things he showed me uh, for Saturday, and those of you are going to be here will hear this again probably, was a, 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 a room full of desks, the old-fashioned desks that we used to have, uh, um, the ones that go up in the air with your ink pot there, you know. You youngsters won't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, one person to each desk there, a couple of three, four rows of them. But what was amazing about them was to the left of every person with one hand on the shoulder was another person, just like an outline. And when I asked the Lord what that was, he said, that is the person that I see them as. The person that is sitting down is their view of themselves. But the person who is standing up is the person, the way that I see them. And somehow we've got to get a shift in our perspective of how we see ourselves so that we see ourselves as he sees us. Then we start to look at other people with different eyes. We're no longer critical and judgmental and suspicious of their motives. 
we begin to see them with the same eyes that Jesus sees us. If you are loved, you will love. To the extent that we are not knowing how we're loved, we cannot love. So we've all got to get our rejection issues healed before we can come into understanding. We can sit there and say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, until we're blue. But it doesn't, it doesn't, is a cut-off point here, you know. We're born with that rejection within us. So it really requires us to open our hearts and let God get in there because otherwise we will actually be critical, judgmental, suspicious. All those things will come across. Whenever I go into a meeting where I don't know people, suspicion is the thing that hits me biggest. If I go into church, suspicion is what hits me. We're meant to be the same. We're off the same chip. We're chips off the same block. We are of the same spirit. I may not understand things the way you understand them. I may not have the insight that you have. But I'm still part of the same body. In the natural, you're not going to chop your arm off at the elbow and throw it over there because you actually don't like the way the things it does. You want that bit. You need that part. And, and it's like the whole of the body of Christ is dislocated because it doesn't know who it is or whose it is. It doesn't know it's got a new DNA and therefore it's got choice where it lives. And if the enemy can keep us blanketed under that, he's got us. But once the Lord starts to pull this blanket of deception that the enemy has thrown over the church, then the enemy starts leaping up and down and the church starts leaping up and down because it really realises who it is. It is not hard to love people if you know that you are loved yourself. There's the old... Uh, song used to say that all the world loves a lover because when you're in love you love everybody it's not an effort you are so fulfilled because you know you are loved and you are loving someone that that's it but we come to our default position when the honeymoon is over and things start to get difficult so suddenly where there was love and it was all hazy and lovely we're suddenly seeing things as we think, as in reality they were there before. But we didn't see them because we were in love. God wants to get us to the place where we're so in love, we, we don't see them. It does not mean that we do not judge righteous judgments. Something I have to put in here is, that you hear so often in the church, we must not judge because we'll be judged. You know, it's all pious like this. So it's alright to be a homosexual or gay or whatever you like to call it. We must not judge. That is not rightly dividing the scriptures. We're not judging, we're saying, excuse me, ahem, ahem, this is not righteous behaviour. And those who are like that will not inherit. If we love them, we will tell them, you won't inherit while you're in that. Because love wants the best. That's why we correct our children. We actually want the best for them. And so you correct them. Because if you don't correct them, they just go off the rails. They need correcting. God disciplines us because we need it. Otherwise we won't understand how loved we are. Let you have a break and a tick. There's that story, isn't there, of the children in the, in the playground. It was, there was an a, a, um, inner city playground. Tarmac, wire, gates. Couldn't get out. Kids in the playground playing right all the way around the edges having a wonderful time. And then they took the children out and put them in a field. So they've got all this beautiful space. They all gathered together in the middle. Boundaryless, they were not safe. So they gathered together. We need boundaries. And someone like me comes along, starts putting boundaries in. Go away, don't like it, never had a boundary in my life. Sweetheart, there's a precipice over there. I'm not letting you go over it. As I said to... Uh, Tony and Julie yesterday I said I've got my shepherd's crook come back here you're not going over there it's not good for you so if we receive correction and we know it's godly correction because we know we are loved we can stand under the correction of God it says doesn't it no one no chastening seems nice for the pleasant for the present but it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness 
to those who are what part? Exercise thereby. Thank you very much. Lost me word. Right, I'll give you five minutes break for a natural love thing of me. Thank you. Okay, so we're seeking excellence. People who walk the love walk are seeking to live excellent lives. So again, it's about choices. We make a determination before God that we actually want to live an excellent life. Uh, that doesn't mean that we've got to be excellent in every area. It means that God will show us where he wants us to be excellent. Now, I'm finding in my personal experience that he actually narrows me down. I had quite a wide remit early on and did a, a number of things. Um, but now he's narrowing me down to this teaching remit which means that my focus is totally really on studying the word and teaching it and bringing it forth as, as he wants it brought forth. All he wants from us is willingness. It does not require anything else other than our willingness to go the way he wants us to go. It doesn't say you've got to do it. He says, be willing to allow me to change you. And so as our will comes into alignment with his, the change begins to take place. The problem comes when we say won't. And we become like the Israelites, stiff-necked people. Have you ever wondered what it meant about being stiff-necked? When you've got a child that won't. No. Turn the head away. It's stiffening of the neck. It's very difficult to deal with. Uh, because the more you try, the more they stiffen their neck. So you get to choose granite or diamond. We get to choose all the time. These days we are in a place where some of our finer tuned choices will actually decide where we end up. We are in such important days that it's, you know, there's a scripture, I think it's in Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth to see those whose hearts, it says, are perfect before him. That does not mean sinless perfection. That means loyal. He, he said about David, didn't he, that he was a man after his own heart, but David committed murder and adultery. So why does he say David is a man after his own heart? Because David knew when he sinned who he'd sinned against. His heart was after God even though his fallen nature trailed off after other things. He wanted something like Bathsheba and he would do anything to get it. As we will see on Saturday, rejection is rather like that. It ends up in homicide or suicide because we will do anything to get what we want. That is the total manifestation of the fallen nature. I'm angry. You make me angry. Nobody makes you angry. This is a bit of a shock for us, but you yourself. It is a choice you make to be angry at that person's <coughs> behaviour. And you have got probably a blocked goal. If you imagine a little... Um, matchstick man standing in a puddle of anger like this and he's reaching for something over here but that goal of what he's reaching for is blocked and so he's angry that is when we get angry is because we are actually someone's getting in our space preventing us getting what we want and the more of a controller we are the angrier we will find our lives because we're trying to control our lives in order to make this person comply with what we want so that I get what I want. Who's at the centre of that? The tree was in the centre of the garden and we are all born self-centred. You get a baby in the house. He thinks he's king. I cry and I get what I want and if I don't get what I want I will cry even louder. And then I will have a paddy and make sure I get what I want. So we can see that it's in us, it's in our genetic makeup to want the centre to get our needs met. 
But when we become Christians, one of the deals is we get a new DNA. So we get to choose whether we live in the old or the new. And it's constant. Do I react in my old childish nature or do I react now in the fruit of the Spirit? I get to choose. All I do is make the choice. And I've told you, I'm sure, a dozen times about the thing at Bexley where I needed someone to help out and my boss um, got me like a PA call of what you like, secretary thing. And she did the donkey work for me. And at this particular time, I needed a report for the following morning for my boss. It was going to be on the table for him following morning. I get into the work, open up the office, no sign of report. So I am steaming round to find out what's happened to this. And I am I'm angry. He wants it. She's not delivered the goods. <clears throat> I'm angry. As I'm walking along, going like this, the Lord said to me, she doesn't understand. My anger went, Psst. now I've got a different view on it. So I walked into her office, she's standing by her computer and the printer, they were huge in those days, never seen anything like it. Bexley bought a job lot, as they did. And I said, what's up, dear? She said, I, I, I don't know what to, I can't, I, hmm. So we went through it, and I explained to her what I needed. She understood, and she got set to with doing the thing. If I'd have gone round there, I'd have blown her out of the water, because I was so... But one word from the Lord, she doesn't understand. Totally changed. Everything went down. If you ask him, he will show you when you come into these situations. What's happening here? Because I'm about to give them a ba back to the car business. <laughs> Get hold of me, Lord. <laughs> you see, we're all made of the same stuff. There's murder in all of us, I'll tell you. Not very far from the surface. Something gets too in your face. And you had a gun? There we are. Anyway. Fruit of the Spirit. Love is basically how we treat people. So as we, as we started talking about, if we don't actually respect ourselves, if we've got a low opinion of ourselves, we will treat other people with disrespect because that is actually how we see ourselves. The other thing that happens is that we will um, contrive without realising it to get other people to reinforce our own low opinion of ourselves, which just proves to ourselves that we're worthless which is a total lie of the enemy. So we've got to start beginning to actually accept the truth of who we are. That's why the picture I had of the people standing alongside the desks was how they actually are. We are no longer that person. I'm absolutely delighted to tell you that the person I was is well and truly dead. I don't have her memories. I don't have her personality or, or her traits. I have her personality because that isn't God-given. But I don't have the ugliness that she had. She was not nice. And I don't own her anymore because she doesn't exist. You come to the place where you do dance a fandango on your own coffin and rise in newness of life. That's bringing stuff to the cross... You don't stay hanging there, you go through. You come into resurrection life, and there is the freedom. There is such freedom in resurrection life to move. You've not got to be guarding yourself all the time, because the Holy Spirit is your guardian. Is it Psalm 121? The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. He will not let your foot slip. You commit yourself into his hands every morning and then this Joyce says we, com we commit our works to the Lord and then we muddle through. Um, <laughs> we, if we will yield and abandon, it's all about abandonment, you know. It's all about giving up our so-called rights to ourselves and then he can live his life through you and you will be delighted with the person you become.
because you begin to become the person who is standing alongside you who is who he created you to be in the first place he has got a high opinion of you he's got something for you in terms of who you actually are that you could never dream of you might say I don't have that sort of sweet personality but in accordance with God's dream for you you have just come into alignment with what he wants to do I will lift up my eyes it says in Psalm 121 to the hills around Jerusalem from whence shall my help come from it hasn't changed it comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth he will not allow your foot to slip or be moved he who keeps you will not slumber verse 5 the Lord is your keeper just imagine the elephant and the keeper he's your keeper the Lord is your shade on your right hand the sun shall not smite you by day nor the moon by night the Lord will keep you from all evil he will keep your life the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore brilliant psalm to craft a prayer round thank you father that you are my keeper I am not my responsibility I am your responsibility it is his responsibility to keep you I was talking to Janice about this this morning Janice uh, they're now not any longer employed I think by um, Follis End Church and uh, she said the money's coming in she said a little drips and drabs all over the place it's remarkable it's amazing she said and there's, there's so much that I need to be doing at home and yet I don't feel I should give my job up for a year or so and I thought mm -hmm. on the one hand she's saying that he needs the help and on the other hand I can't mm -hmm. so they're being taught to walk by faith or by the faithful one <coughs> because they're, they're being called out into ministry and God is saying I am your supply you don't choose to walk by faith God asks you to when he calls you into a ministry he will supply your need and I think it was Joyce told me the other day somebody said that these girls were decided they wanted to walk by faith I said don't do that you, they'll get mud in the eye there because that is presumption that's not faith at all well I'm going to walk by faith Lord I'm not going to get a job I'm not going to work and you're going to look after me no <laughs> if a man doesn't work don't let him eat so we, we can't misrepresent what the scriptures are saying but Janice and, and uh, Martin are coming into this now and they're delighted because they're seeing the provision of God it was never not there they just couldn't see it uh, when, as I was saying when we started when we come to a bump in the road when we come to a problem which we will the provision is there we just need to stand still and look for the provision because he will not fail you nor forsake you he will not let you go you are the sheep of his pasture you are his inheritance he's yours but you're his how about that I think what has happened with us in the church is we have made a mental ascent to becoming Christians but we have not known what it is to actually abandon ourselves to God just to throw ourselves into him like throwing yourself into a big feather bed take a running jump and flop into the middle it's funny because uh, Deborah was saying on Monday night she, she, she was at um, New Wine and um, <laughs> she got this here, lay low, as she called it, which it was. It went down and <laughs> she laid low, so she got another one, bought another one, pumped it up. She was pumping it there, up, or a friend of hers was when we were there. Apparently, she got laying down in the night and she said, and I found my lay low was around my ears. She said, I couldn't understand why it was up higher than I was laying on the floor again it got slowly <laughs> and it's a bit like that taking a running jump absolutely just abandoning yourself to him that's what stepping out of the boat's all about put your leg over the side and start walking on that substance you've no business as Graham Cook would say walking on 
The whole key to the Christian walk, you know, is abandonment to the Spirit of God, to allowing Him to be in executive control of your life. It's making that soul of ours give up its right to rule and authority. Because while you're in that, you're in the, the uh, carnal nature, and it's at enmity with God. It's at war with God. doesn't like it, doesn't like the way he does things. So you've got to make the choice daily. Here's a prayer that I pray every morning. I um, take Romans 12.1. And in the Amplified it says, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, and beg of you, in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. That's what's happened to the church, see. We've become like the world. And you can't tell the difference. We're not meant to be like uh, the brethren are up here, the road here, wear a cover on their heads because the women are got to know that they're under authority uh, and not getting involved in anything, wearing long skirts and all this. Outward show of piety and separation is not that. The separation we have is in here. We are separated unto God. It is a heart separation unto the things of the Lord. It is a continuing consecration, separation unto what he wants. And then, what's it say in Matthew 6.33? Everything they want will be given to you. You seek first my purposes, my kingdom in your life, my reign and rule, and everything thereafter out there will be given you. You won't have to strain after it. But you get your focus on seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness in everything you do. And it's a process. You don't get it by pill. So we are not going to be fashioned after and adapted to the etern the, 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 this age superficial, but be transformed. That is metamorphosed. The same word as you get with a butterfly, a metamorphosis. Complete change from a chrysalis to a butterfly. By the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude. First thing that I was accused of was my value system had changed. Because it had. Everything I agreed with overnight turned upside down and my boss didn't like the flip side. I didn't go along with it anymore. So that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. So it's a good idea to take Romans 12, 1 and 2 and make that into a prayer every morning and say, Father, I present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, which is my reasonable service. And I will not be conformed to this world, but I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I might test and approve what is your good, perfect and acceptable will. Good prayer. You're actually declaring in line with his word what he wants for you. And as the words go forth, and the preceding word goes forth, the change comes. The decision is made in here, that comes out of here. Everything in you is squealing and saying no, and you're saying, shut up, I'm doing this thing. Discipleship is a discipline. It's, it's the D word. We cannot get away from it. We cannot have sloppy agape, which... Uh, says there there that's all right everything you want to do it you do it that's all right god's not going to mind he's a god of mercy and kindness yeah but it's out of alignment with what his word says he's not a spoil sport as i said to the kids no mustn't call them kids young people 
he is not a spoil sport. He has the absolute best for you. And he will not allow you to drink from a bottle marked poison. And, and if you don't hear him the first time, when he calls you and stops you, he'll wrap your knuckles because of his love. He doesn't do it for his sake, he does it for our sake. Whenever we come into a correction, it's not for his sake, it's for our sake. That's what Agape is about. The difference between Eros and Agape is Eros is self-referential. Me, myself and I. What's in it for me? What's best for me? How can I get this? I mean, that, that book that we um, was very popular, uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, the subtitle was How To Get Your Needs Met. That's about it. How can I get out of Trish what I want? How do I manipulate her to give me what, she, what I want from her? That is Eros. I always used to think Eros was um, just sexual love. But Eros is much wider than that. Eros is self-centered. It's self-referential. It wants position, possession and power. It wants what it wants and it wants it for itself. It's always portrayed, isn't he, this little cupid with a bow and arrow? Where do you think he's heading for? Your heart, isn't he? It occurred to me, uh, while I was doing this, I'm studying a number of things at the moment, not least the, the Beatitudes, which is something else in, again, uh, and, and all this business about Agapea versus Eros and all the whole thing. But it all ties in. Because if you think of it, that in the garden, he let fly an arrow straight into mankind's heart, which was from Cupid or Eros, which made our hearts a wo wounded to receive Eros. We don't know how to receive Agape. We don't know how to receive God's love, which is self-giving, not receiving. So that arrow of Eros has got to be pulled out. I've got a prayer, and I'm, I must take it with me to the rejection conference. And it, it, the, the nub of it is I see that my love manipulates, controls, possesses, wants to get from someone that, and you've just shown me, Lord, my love is shot through with sin. And that is what it is. Our love is shot through with sin till we can see and actually turn against Eros. It's like drawing a line and saying, I'm not, I'm not going. I'm, I'm not living in that place where I'm constantly whinging about getting my knees met. I'm living in the place of the Spirit where the Holy Spirit can bring forth His fruit. But it's a process. And you embark on that process by making a decision. A decisive decision of putting your body on the altar, putting yourself on the altar. There used to be some t-shirts, didn't there? Uh, trouble is with a living sacrifice it keeps crawling off the altar. <laughs> Which we do. <laughs> my dog used to glide off the sofa onto the floor when he saw you coming, you know. He just sort of poured himself down <laughs> in case we saw him. <laughs> and it's like that, the living sacrifice just greases off the altar. <laughs> Bring him back. Tie the sacrifice with cords to the altar. And then this thing will deal a death blow to it and we will begin to see the joy, the righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit coming through and the fruit of the Spirit. I was, whenever you talk to anyone who is out of fellowship with God, where's your righteousness, peace and joy? Well, they went out the window the moment you started going after what you thought you wanted. That's the first thing that turns tail. You see the three of them leaping out the window. These three angels, righteousness, peace and joy, we're out of it. But the moment that you come in under the benevolent dictatorship of the Holy Spirit, and he will tread on your toes, sensible thing, move your feet when he treads on your toes, because he is going to have his way in your life. And the easiest way, as I, I said to Trish, well, I learned it a long time ago, when someone wanted to stick a needle in me, the best thing was not to resist them, but to relax because they could do what they needed to do and it was much less painful. So uh, 
nub of the message is relax and let the Lord have his way and let the fruit of the Spirit come through. Bless you. Thank you for listening.